morning. We can be weird, can't we? We are a little weird at times. We really are. Um, hey, before we jump right into that about being um, weird, um, hey, we had a great day last week. Uh, our uh, life group Sunday, man, um, our life group uh, leaders did a great job last week, didn't they? <laughs> Woo! They really did. Went above and beyond. And I know you're really uh, anxious to find out who won. You know, we had uh, all these different um, uh, categories, you know, best overall, most creative, best snack, all these things that you guys all got to vote on. I'm not really sure if this, if these people are in here today. Uh, They're probably, I think think most of these people come to the second service, but, so I'm going to, I'm going to announce the, this, and so I don't think they're in here, but, um, uh, so just kind of keep this a secret until the next service. Um, so the, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. We had one group that really ran away with like all five, in fact, they won every category but one. Okay, does anybody know who it is? Could guess? Yeah, the breakfast in bed. It was the, the mingling of souls uh, marriage group with um, the Verderies and the Schroders. Are, are they in here this morning? Any one of those? Folks, I think they're all in the second service. Um, but uh, anyway, so they won. I have a gift for them. And they blew all, everybody else away uh, except for one category. And then there were close uh, in two other categories with the same group. Anybody like to guess who that might have been? Well, actually, it was, it was the group right next to them. It was the kickball group. And uh, so it was the Wessels and I think Robbie... Close. Are they in here today? Any of those folks in here? Okay, like I said, I think they're all second service people. And I really think the only reason the, the uh, Carol won best sales pitch because she got real competitive with the Schroders and uh, the Verderies and started bribing people to come to their group, basically. She was going to give them, like, free mows or something. I don't know. So anyway, so, but they, but anyway, they really did. Those two uh, groups ran away with everything, except there was one kind of just surprise and uh, it was the person who had the most sign-ups. And we didn't really make that a category, but it is kind of cool to see which group had the most people sign up. And again, I think this is the second person uh, group as well. But anybody like to guess who that was? What group? What's that? Right, the, the running for, for God, the 5K group. Uh, actually, uh, Whitney, is Whitney in here? Whitney's not in here. Um, she kind of like, Pastor Chris, nobody's going to sign up for this group. We're going to have like five people. I think they had 40 people sign up for this thing. So, I mean, they, they're literally going to have to, you know, find the, the group of people who really can't run, you know. And they're going to be like one little, no, I'm just, I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> the runners, they're going to circle the non-runners several times. I don't know what will happen. But uh, anyway, so, so it was a great day uh, last week. Um, in, in fact, and, and as... Um, as Joy announced, uh, in two weeks, uh, Sunday, September the 20th, uh, we're kicking off a new series called what? Anybody remember? Game On. Game On. Game on. It's going to be a big day. Uh, we talk a lot about big days here at Coast, so we strategically schedule them, you know, throughout the year. And a big day is kind of like, maybe if you grew up like I did kind of back in the day, you know, we would call it like Friend Day. You know, Friend Day, it's like where you pull out all the stops and, you know, challenge your church to, uh, to do whatever it takes. You know, get your, your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, your neighbors all to church. Because on that day, you know, maybe even more so than any other day, 
uh, we're going to creatively, persuasively, passionately uh, share the gospel. And uh, so that's what's going to happen here on the 20th. It's going to be a really creative day. Uh, we're going to pull out all the stops. It's going to be awesome. We're, we are going to have a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to have a uh, tailgating competition going on all day long during all three services. And so between services, before and after church, you can walk out there, check out all the food. And, and uh, we'll probably have some, uh, again, some uh, ballots or a way for you to vote. And uh, just the best overall uh, tailgating experience. Uh, Kona ice truck is coming. Uh, you know, that's always fun for a big day. And, uh, and most importantly, you know what we're going to do, which we always do here at Coastal, and that is we're going to try to make it very simple, uh, very easy for your friends to find their way to God. That's what we try to do here at Coastal. We try to make it simple so that your friends and neighbors and coworkers and relatives could easily take their next step. Uh, to find their way to God, whatever that next step is. Now, you would think that that's what all churches try to do all the time, right? You know, just they, they try to make it easy for people to find their way to God because, you know, after all, that's kind of, that's the business that we're in, right? Well, the truth is, church can be kind of confusing sometimes, right? I mean, just like the, the video that you watch, sometimes the language that we use is a little confusing. It's like we have this little insider code language amongst ourselves. Uh, sometimes church can be weird. Uh, sometimes church can be very awkward. Now, especially for the people who don't regularly go to church. The very people that we are trying to reach, for them, from the outside looking in, it can be a little awkward. It can be a little weird. Now... The truth is, that has been a struggle for the church from the very beginning of the church, if you know anything about the history of the church. In fact, today, here's what I want us to do, especially as we kind of prepare for and get ready for September the 20th. I want us today to look at an example uh, in the early church when things got really, really weird, and they got very, I mean like a whole nother level of awkward for new people, especially men, okay? We'll get to this. Now, I want us to see four important uh, things that we can do, four important principles that we can apply here at Coastal to help us kind of take the weirdness and the awkwardness out of church and to make sure that this is always a place, always a place where people can very easily find their way back to God, where this is a place where people feel comfortable and accepted and they can find their way back to God, okay? Now, the story is found in Acts chapter 15. And I want to set the stage for you for a little bit. I don't even think I've ever even really preached a message. I probably have alluded to this, but I don't think I've actually preached a message from this story before. But uh, when the early church was born, for the most part, in the very beginning, at least primarily, it was seen as a Jewish thing. Okay? In fact, after all, you know, Jesus was the Christ, right? The Jewish Messiah who had been promised from Old Testament you know, scriptures and the prophets of old. And, uh, and so it's a historical fact that many of the earliest followers of Jesus were actually Jewish. Now, the Gentiles, basically us, okay, anybody that had not been born a Jew, they also began to come to faith in Christ. 
Uh, you might uh, know that Peter uh, preached uh, the gospel to the Gentiles early on in his ministry. And of course, the Apostle Paul uh, made his ministry to the Gentiles kind of his primary focus. So here's the thing, though. Gentiles were not being drawn to Jesus because he was the Messiah. They typically didn't really know anything about, you know, the promised Jewish Messiah. What, what really captured their heart, what, what, what captured the heart and minds of the Gentiles was not the fulfillment of all these Old Testament scriptures and, and prophecies. You know what it was for them? It was the resurrection. You know, the, the news that spread of the resurrected Jesus and then the promise of a resurrection, a resurrected body for them, the promise of eternal life, the promise of a home in heaven. You see, the Jews, uh, the Jewish believers, primarily saw Jesus as an extension of their Jewish faith. It was kind of like the next step, you know, the next prophetic step, so to speak, of, of their heritage. They they continue. This is important. They continued to follow the Jewish law so much so that they, they would keep the Jewish traditions. Now, the Gentiles who were coming to faith, they couldn't care less about any of that stuff. They just loved Jesus. In other words, in their minds, it wasn't like Jesus was an extension of their background or their heritage. He, it wasn't that they had to continue to keep all these uh, traditions. And so, as you might imagine, there, there grew a tension between these two groups, between the Jewish believers and then the Gentile believers from the very beginning. In fact, Scripture tells us there was this argument that arose among them about how the food was being distributed uh, in the early church to, to widows. The Gentiles felt like their widows were getting slighted, and, and the early church was really focusing on uh, the Jewish widows and overlooking you know, the people in their family. Now, but the biggest disagreement, okay, and the one that had the greatest potential to divide the church forever and really have an effect on us today is the focus of Acts chapter 15, okay? Now, remember, there had been Gentile Christians from day one. But one day, some Jewish leaders in the church discovered something about these Gentile believers that really ticked them off, okay? They discovered that the Gentile Christians were not keeping the law of Moses. They weren't following the law. So they actually got a delegation together, and they sent them out to correct the problem. Uh, and a group of them landed in a city called Antioch. Now, it just so happened to be that Paul and Barnabas were there. So this sets the stage for Acts chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Listen to this. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the Christians there, unless you keep the ancient Jewish custom of what? Say that again, of what? Circumcision. Circumcision taught by Moses. You cannot be what? Saved. Paul and Barnabas, disagreeing with them, argued forcefully and at great length. Wow. 
okay, you might have missed this because this is freaking me out, okay? Now, wrap your minds around what's happening here. These Gentiles, just like many of you, place their faith in Jesus. They place their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. They are saved. They are being sanctified. They have a home forever guaranteed in heaven. And now the Jews show up and they say, not good enough. Not good enough. You have to have surgery if you're going to be saved. Okay, did you hear that? You have to have surgery if you're going to be saved. And I'd be willing to bet that that made the Gentile men a little nervous. I mean, seriously, this is what was going on. So they quickly go to Paul about it, and a fight breaks out, basically. And an international uh, church conference is called to meet in Jerusalem to put this to rest. Now, you thought your church was weird growing up, okay? I mean, you thought arguing over music styles was strange. You thought handling snakes, you know, was over the top if you're from Tennessee. And, um, you know, but what if we had to skin those snakes? And those snakes were, well, you get the picture. So um, the point I'm making, I know it was bad, wasn't it? Anyway, <laughs> the point I'm making is that the church has been struggling you know, with these issues really from the very beginning. And, and truthfully, it is something, at least the principle here, is something that we've got to guard against. So, you know, what can we do in 2015 to keep from looking weird and awkward and strange to the very people that we are called to reach out to? I mean, how do we keep this a place where people feel like they can be accepted and find their way to God. Let me give you four ways, four things we can do today to, to make sure that, that that happens. Number one, by focusing on reaching out, not in. Reaching out, not in. In other words, you know, most of what the church should be doing, it should be about outsiders, not insiders. Now, that is an easy thing to mess up. Because a lot of what churches do in ministry is, is in this culture where, you know, really we're kind of a selfish group of people. And most of the time and most of life, it really is all about us. So listen very carefully. You ready for this? The church is not for church people. Say that with me out loud. The church is not for church people. Not enough of you said it. Say it again. The church is not for church people. When Jesus said, in fact... I am going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. How many church people were there at the time? I'll help you out. Zero. Okay? In other words, Jesus didn't establish the church for church people. We are supposed to be base camp for the rescue operation to save people from hell. Since the beginning of the church, though, left to ourselves... Insiders tend to make things difficult for outsiders. From the very beginning, the church has tried to change the outsider before letting them in, before letting them connect with God 
or with the church. You know, when the Jews showed up with their circumcision requirement, it was all about, you know, having a recognizable insider group. What were they doing? They were just creating a, an us versus them mentality. Hey, we're the good guys. They're the bad guys. We're on the inside. They're on the outside. They were just putting up a wall about, you know, a wall with, you know, we're the ones on the inside who know what the deal is, and all the rest of you obviously don't know what the deal is. Now, take note of what Paul didn't say. Paul didn't say, well, of course you're right. It just slipped our minds. We'll take care of it. Gentiles, um, if you could go ahead and get circumcised, that would be great. We sign up on your connect card, right? You know? um, no, no. The Bible actually says that Paul here says, I love the different translations of this. This one says, argued forcefully and at great length. In the original Greek, the words described there uh, are used to describe a violent uprising. Because Paul knew that the church wasn't about the people who know the secret handshake. It wasn't about insiders. It wasn't about legalism or law. And he was willing to fight for it. You ever think who Paul would have to fight today? You know, the truth is, a lot of churches make it difficult for people to come home, to turn to God. You know, for some reason, I can't figure out. It's like we want to create this... This insider language, these rules, these programs that make it difficult for people to come home. And if we do that, if we are creating any obstacle for people that, that gets in the way of them coming to know Christ, then we are actually working against God. The gospel should be easy in the sense that it's accessible. But too often we actually get in the way. You know, Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. And the people who were nothing like Jesus, man, they fell in love with him. You know, people that uh, the others there called sinners and outsiders, you know, they loved being around Jesus. Jesus was always hanging out with them. He was always running off to some party or a dinner with people that the, you know, the good church-going people thought were the scum of the earth. You know what makes the, the biggest impression on people who visit a church? Uh, an impression that determines whether or not that they'll come back, whether or not that they, they might stay. Uh, over and over again, when asked, people say it's the friendliness of a church. Now, you know, here at Coastal, we work hard at that. We do. Now, we also believe that people aren't just looking for a friendly church. They're looking for what? Looking for friends. And so that's why we believe in community. That's why we believe in life group. But the church, the truth is, the starting point really is the, the friendliness of that church. And I know some of you might say, well, man, we got that one down, Pastor Chris. Well, let, let, let me tell you the number one way that people determine whether or not a church is friendly. Again, exit polls, surveys, over and over and over again, this is what people say. The number one way that determines whether or not a church is friendly. You ready for this? By the number of people who talk to them. By the number of people who talk to them. Plain and simple. I mean, the, the equation would be many conversations 
equal what? Friendly church, right? Few or no conversations equal what type of church? Unfriendly church. In other words, they say there is nothing lonelier than sitting in a chair in an auditorium or standing in a welcome center with other people having conversations all around you, but nobody talks to you. You know, if if we're going to fulfill the mission that God has called us to in our community here in Charleston, we've got to constantly fight against this. We've got to constantly be focused and remind ourselves that we're to be focused on the people who are outside of these walls. Let's continue. Verse 2. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. The church sent delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers there. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. In other words, they they were coming to Christ. So, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the other apostles and elders. And they reported everything God had done through them. But then, some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, they stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be what? Circumcised. And required to follow the law of Moses. You're going to go home today. What are we talking about church today? Circumcision. (laughs) Woo! Okay. So here's the second thing that we can do that we got to guard against to help the church continue in our mission. Number two, by focusing on grace, not the law. By focusing on grace. Both Peter and Paul taught that the gospel was something that you have to believe in that you have to trust in, not something, not, not requirements that had to be met. And so when Paul and Barnabas make the trip to Jerusalem to solve this issue, along, with, along the way they visit with some other believers and they tell them, you know, the story of how the Gentiles are now coming to faith in Christ and, and it says there's great joy and, and except among these legalists, people who belong to the sect of the Pharisees who thought That you as well had to follow the Old Testament law to be a Christian. So they stand up in front of everybody and say, hey, before you all get too happy about this, you know, before you get too excited about people coming to faith, we need to make sure that they are following the same rules and regulations that we are. And again, you see, these were some Pharisees. Remember them who had, uh, you know, the Jewish leaders who had given Jesus such a hard time? They had become believers. But just like their Jewish counterparts, you know, who become Christians, they held on to keeping the law too. And they they just assumed that everybody else had to do it as well. Now, this is interesting. History tells us that when this was happening right there, that Paul writes a letter to the the Christians in Galatia, the Galatians, right? Um, And what he writes, it's got to, you know, All of this is affecting what he writes to them. In fact, listen to Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and then 19 through 21. Listen to this. Yet we know that a person is made right with God. How? By faith in Jesus Christ. Not by what? Obeying the law. And he goes on to say, he says, and we 
have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we've obeyed the law. For Listen to this. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. No one's ever going to be made right with God by keeping a long list of do's and don'ts. He's saying, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. In other words, he couldn't keep the law. So I died to it. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might just live for God. My old self was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but now it's Jesus who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make me right with God, then there was no need for Jesus to ever die. Now, here's where all this becomes a struggle for us today. The longer people are inside the church, the longer we are the insiders, the more we tend to see, I'm going to call it categorically, instead of relationally. The more we tend to put people in categories instead of building relationships with them. The longer we follow Jesus, the longer we're on the inside, the more we tend to gravitate, the the pull is to put people into boxes, put people into categories instead of dealing with them through relationships. Now, let me give you a little bit of history, at least recent history. You know, back in my day, when I was growing up in the church, one of the big issues that the grown-ups, you know, were discussing back in the day is what to do with divorced people. That was an issue, you know, in my generation growing up. And, and, and one of the, some of the things that they would be discussing would be like, well, you know, can they teach Sunday school? Can they serve communion? Can they take up the offer? Can they teach? And an awful lot of churches just decided to deal with them as a category. And they just decided that as a category, there were some things that divorced people couldn't do. Now, you don't have to think too hard today to see that there is still a tendency in the church to do that today with certain categories and certain groups of people. Now, here's the problem with that. It almost always leads to legalism and away from grace. You see, the anecdote for that is think relationships, not categories. Think relationships, not categories. Relationships will always blow up your boxes. Relationships will always mess up your categories. Because when you get to know people, everybody's got a story. And once you hear somebody's story, it's hard to reject them as an individual. Now, the pushback you might say today would be, hey, yeah, but come on now, Pastor Chris. Won't extending grace, won't accepting people lead them to think that what they do is no big deal? Not at all. Hear this loud and clear today. You ready? This is important. Acceptance is not approval. Acceptance is not approval. I mean, if our goal is to have influence today, if our goal is to have impact 
in our community, in our culture, the only way we're ever going to gain traction, the only, only way we're ever going to get momentum is we've got to accept people. How many doors has condemnation ever opened for you? Condemnation drives people away, does not bring them closer. Acceptance paves the way for influence. But acceptance does not equal approval. If you're a parent, you know that. Acceptance does not equal approval. If we're going to be the church that influences and impacts our community and our culture, here's what we've got to do. We've got to constantly be communicating that anybody, listen to me, anybody, no matter who they are or what they've done, they are welcome here. They're accepted here. Now, let me ask you, is that messy? You better believe it is. Is that hard to do at times? Absolutely. But that's what we're called to do. Let's continue. Verses 7 through 11. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he, accept the Holy, that he accepted the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit. In other words, he proved that they were accepted because he also gave to them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So, why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke, a burden, that neither we nor our ancestors were ever able to bear? We believe, listen to this, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, here's the third thing that can help us be a little less weird and awkward by focusing on being simple, not complex. Simple, not complex. There are 613 Old Testament laws. What the Jewish believers were suggesting was that the Gentiles then had to master and do all of them. Peter steps up and says, man, you're putting a burden on these people that we were never able to carry successfully. And Peter says, what you're really doing with this legalism is you're challenging God because he has set things up so that we all get saved the same simple way. The undeserved what? Grace of God. You see, one of the things that we've got to constantly fight against is the creep of complexity. You know, the tendency over time to make things more complicated, more complicated than they ever have to be. That means we got to be really clear and we got to constantly communicate about the kind of church we are, about why we do what we do and what, you know, what we're doing and why, you know, that we are the church that we are called to be. And, uh, you know, not let anything else get in the way of what God's called us to do. Now, what is that? Well... We, we want to be the church that comes to the minds 
of the people in our community when they think, you know what? My friend, my child, my family member, me. I need to go to a place where I can find Jesus. A church that's not going to look down on me. A church that's not going to be weird or confusing or, or intimidating. A church that's not too churchy. I want us to be the church that people think about when they want to find Jesus. I want to be the church that loves people and points people to Christ. Look at verses 13 through 18. So when they had all finished, James stood up and he said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time that God first visited the Gentiles to take them, uh, to take from them a, a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, afterwards I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, even the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. Number four, here's the fourth thing that we can do to help us to be a little less weird. By focusing on advancing instead of preserving. Focusing on advancing instead of preserving. Here's James. He is a leader in the church at Jerusalem. He's also the half-brother of Jesus. He's the author of the book by his name in the New Testament, the book of James. So what he says carries a little bit of weight, okay? You know, he's respected. So here's what he says. He says, listen, guys, Gentiles coming to faith, Gentiles becoming Christians, that is a prophetic fact. That's what the Old Testament you know, prophesied about years ago. So instead of throwing obstacles in their way, instead of burdening them with the law and complicating things, let's advance the kingdom of God. Let's be about you know, growing the church, growing the kingdom. The problem is, the longer the church exists, the, the more focused the people in the church become on protecting our stuff. Rather than reaching people. Listen, God has not called us to protect anything. Did you hear that? God has not called us to protect anything. We're not, you know, we're passing through. We don't take anything with us. The truth is, you know, he has called us to advance the kingdom of God. He's called us to lock arms, to march forward, and to beat down the gates of hell. And to rescue people one life at a time. You know what? Everything that, that we have at 460 Arlington Drive, all of the buildings, you know, the, the lights, the sound, the stuff, the classrooms, even the new building. Even the new building. Listen to me. You know what they are? They are just what? We've said this a lot lately. Just what? Tools. Tools to be used. Things. People always come before things. People always come before things. People always come before policies. People always come before procedures. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, poor stewardship, not taking care of what we have, but what I am saying is, you know what? We ought to be willing to risk it all 
to reach people. Risk it all. And if along the way, something gets a little bit dirty or torn up, guess what? We'll clean it up, repair it, replace it, or we'll do without it. And if a program, a cherished, beloved program, or a ministry is no longer effective at reaching people and advancing the kingdom, we will let it die and we'll have a good old-fashioned burial and we'll eat fried chicken and potato salad afterwards. Okay? And then we'll regroup. We'll just find a better way to do it. My favorite verse from this whole chapter is verse 19. This ought to be the filter through which we evaluate everything we do. Listen to this, Acts 15, 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Man, that's that's our charge right there, isn't it? That's the church. Man, we need to be in the business of tearing down walls, not building them up, removing obstacles, not putting them in the way. Man, I I agree with James here. Man, it's my judgment. We should not make it difficult for people who are coming home to God. So how do we do that, Coastal? By reaching out, not in. By focusing on grace, not the law. By being simple, not complex. And by constantly advancing, not preserving. Man, I really believe we have, man, we've got a fantastic future here in this community, in this city. Man, God is up to something in our midst. And we are making an eternal difference in the lives of a lot of people. But we just got to be committed to making it easy for anybody to come to God. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that uh, people like Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James stood up uh, in the early church days and made it crystal clear what the church is all about. That we can never be saved by, by the law, by good works or good deeds, but only by grace, the undeserved grace of God. Father, I pray for Coastal. You know, as we begin to grow, it's so easy to turn inward. It's so easy to want to protect and preserve instead of advance. It's so easy to get a little more complex instead of trying to make it simple. Help us, God, to guard against all those things. And it's my judgment that, God, I agree with these guys. May we make it easy for people. May we never put anything in the way of someone coming to know God. Father, I pray for the 20th that we could remove any obstacles on that day. And if by using something as simple or silly as football or sports, if that's a hook, 
to attract someone, to get them here, to have fun, then so be it. But I pray that uh, we would loud and clear communicate your great, great love and plan for people's lives. You know, maybe there's somebody here today who has never yet experienced your amazing grace. Listen, God wants you to come home. That's what the church is all about. That's what what James and Peter and Paul said 2,000 years ago. We should never make it difficult for anyone to turn to God. So, you know, today, right now is your day. Right now is your time. It really is so very simple. Just cry out to a loving Heavenly Father. He is drawing you to Himself right now. It is as simple and as easy as a prayer. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father, I have blown it. I have have made a lot of mistakes. In fact, the things in my life that I've done and been a part of for a long time, I, I didn't think I could ever come home. I thought I had to clean myself up before I'd ever be accepted or welcome at a church or in your presence. But today I've heard something different. You love me just the way I am. Today I want to come home. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus really is your son. He paid the price for my sin on that cross. In fact, I recognize today that my sin put Jesus on that cross. Today I turn my back on all of it. The Bible word for that is to repent, and so God, I do. I turn my back on it, and I turn toward you. Not only do I believe that Jesus went to a cross, but I believe he rose from the dead, and he is alive. And I recognize it's it's not about the law or rules or regulations. I could never be good enough to try to earn your favor. So I believe that I put my trust and my hope in what Jesus already did for me. And now for the rest of my days, God, I don't hardly understand this, and I'm going to trust you but you now see Jesus in me. And you see his perfection and his holiness. And so I just want to become more and more day by day like you see me now. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and for your love. And may, Father, may Coastal always be about this, this very thing, helping people find their way back to God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.